Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Well, we always start with well. (laughs) Well, well, well. (laughs) Well, hello and welcome to The Orchard Podcast. Uh, Rachel and I are here again. We've got brand new microphones, haven't we? Very classy. Snazzy. Um, And we are in series three of our podcast um, and we are in episode three. Um, and we have been looking over the last couple of months at uh, Old Testament women um, and looking at their story and how their story really um, helps us understand the bigger picture of God redeeming and renewing all things. Um, and we looked at Hannah last time. We were at our at Trinity Church's oh, weekend yes. away. Captive audience. <laughs> uh, which was really great. And here we are back in the studio. Um, and today... We are talking about uh, Ruth and Naomi. Um, So we're going to kick off and Rachel's going to give us a beautiful synopsis. Yes. I love that Ruth has a book named after her. That's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you say that often. Yeah, I do. Do I? Why is that woman not a book? Yeah. Why is it not the book of Hannah? Like, come on. She needs her. (laughs) Anyway, um, the Lord knows. I'm sure he'll tell me when I see him face to face. Uh, so we're in the book of Ruth, uh, which is if, if you're able to follow along with an open Bible, do try and do that um, because I'm, I'm believing that God will speak to you specifically uh, as you open God's word. You'll find it after Judges and before Samuel. So uh, slightly annoying that we haven't gone chronologically because Hannah kind of <laughs> features after Ruth. But anyway, we're jumping slightly backwards, but there we go. Um, so we're looking at Ruth, four chapters And I'm just going to give us a brief synopsis again, rather than reading through the whole four chapters. So we open the book of Ruth and we're introduced to uh, some of the main characters. Elimelech is the husband. Naomi is the wife. They have two sons. They live in Bethlehem in Judah at the time, but there's a famine. uh, And so they decide to uproot and to move to a place called Moab. Uh, And Moab is another nation. They have a whole different cultural system. They worship other gods. So this is quite Mm. a big Mm. move for them. And I get the impression reading between the lines that Naomi may Mm. be not so keen. It's not necessarily her idea because this is quite a big move. But Mm. uh, Elimelech says says that they plan to be there just for a short amount of time, but they end up staying there for longer. Anyway, they move there and with their two sons, they have these two sons and... uh, Elimelech dies. The mm-hmm. husband dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the sons get married, and we discover that the sons marry these two Moabite women, Ruth mm-hmm. and Orpah. Mm-hmm. And we, we're pretty sure that the, the sons marry those two wives after the husband has died, because it's, it's pretty shocking that these two Jewish men, mm-hmm. these sons, would marry Moabite women because it goes against Mosaic law. So yeah. it's quite important that mm-hmm. we know that. So Ruth and Orpah, they're... They're Moabites, they're not Jewish women. Anyway, uh, and then both the sons die Mm. as well. So Mm. we've got Naomi, who is left without a husband and without her two sons and Mm. just her two daughters-in-law who are both Moabites. This has been like a really tragic season for Naomi. And Naomi wants to leave Moab. There's, she now discovers that there's, the famine has ended in, in Bethlehem and Judah, and she wants to return to her family, mm-hmm. to her people. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws that daughters, not daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, bad grammar, uh, uh, she tells them that she's going to go. And they start making preparation, preparations to leave, and Orpah and Ruth are going to go with her. And then, basically, Naomi realizes that what she's asking of her daughters-in-law is huge. Yeah. That this is a 
to this come is to a her big land. deal. Yeah, to say mm-hmm. leave everything behind and come mm-hmm. to her land. Exactly. And so she says to them three times, "You must stay. Stay in Moab. Go back to your families. Mm. I'm going to go on my own." And the first two times, both Orpa and Ruth say, "No, we're going to come with you." And then the third time, Orpa like is like basically, "Yeah, no, I think you're right. I'm going to go home." Mm-hmm. So Orpa goes home, but Ruth mm. clings to Naomi. And there's this famous verse at that point that says, "Where you go, I will go." We'll come onto that a bit later. So they return to Bethlehem. The whole town is kind of shocked to see Naomi because like a decade has passed. And she's also experienced like a huge amount of tragedy. So we can only assume that she probably looks a bit different. Mm. You know, her her mm. whole demeanor. Her demeanor, that's the word I'm looking for, is different. Uh, in fact, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitterness, essentially bitter. Mm. She says, I left Bethlehem empty, uh, full, but I return empty. And she's essentially blames God for her misfortune. God yeah. has brought this misfortune on her. So Naomi has a relative in, uh, she's got lots of relatives actually there because it's where she's from, but there's a particular relative called Boaz that she's aware of, um, but he doesn't quite feature in the story just yet. Uh, and the, the big predicament for Naomi is that, of course, she has no sons to keep the family line going. And as a widow, it's a patriarchal world. Again, it's important that we remember that, that this isn't how the world is meant to be. Mm. This sort of patriarchal system that these women exist in is not how the world is meant to be. But it is the world that they exist in. It is the culture that they exist in. And we see God at work within it. So Mm -hmm. within that system, Naomi can't inherit the land herself. Mm -hmm. It has to be passed on to uh, a male male relative. Mm -hmm. And so Boaz is potentially the closest relative that could keep the family line going through Ruth. Yeah, Naomi and Ruth, yeah. Through Ruth, yeah. So Ruth then in order to survive, starts gleaning fields. And again, this is a bit of a tradition in the culture that if you're a widow, you can glean the fields, which means you basically go behind the harvesters and collect up whatever's left over to, to live on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's pretty humbling. It's mm. like, mm. it's like... Mm. Scraps. Not, the scraps, mm. exactly. Anyway, in, it, there's an amazing verse that says, as it turned out, we're going to come into that a bit more, uh, this field that Ruth happens to be gleaning in belongs to Boaz, this one relative that could potentially save them from basically destitution. So Boaz asks who Ruth is, this woman that's gleaning in his field. She discovers that she's Naomi's widowed daughter-in-law and relative. She's heard about all that Naomi uh, has been through and what Ruth has done for Naomi in coming with her. And so he shows real kindness and generosity to Ruth. Mm. And then Ruth tells Naomi that evening about Boaz and the field that she's been gleaning in. And Naomi tells Ruth to stay in Boaz's field, that if she's going to go out glowing, stay there because he's obviously going to protect her. He's a relative uh, because it's, it could also be pretty dangerous mm. for, for Ruth. Mm-hmm. So then Naomi gives Ruth this kind of weird instruction to us in our culture uh, to lie with Boaz. It, it's, it's harvest time. There's this place called the threshing floor where they basically like separate out the chaff from the grain. wheat and the grain. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Boaz lies there, sleeps there for the night. I'm imagining like to protect the grain. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, and so Ruth is instructed by Naomi to sleep at his feet and to uncover his feet. Uh, and so that when Boaz wakes up, I'm assuming like with his feet cold. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. going to wake him up. Yeah. He discovers Ruth lying there. And that's sort of a sim- symbolic of being married to one another. We're going to go on again, say a bit more about how risky that was. So... He then goes out without being seen. She, she also leaves without being seen because if she's seen, that's a big deal. He gives her loads of food and says, look, 
I want to help you, but there's this potentially this other guy that is a closer relative and he could, he, he's kind of first in line. Yeah. So I need to speak to him. Mm-hmm. So Boaz has this public meeting with this other guy who could be this kinsman redeemer. That's what it's called. The other kinsman redeemer doesn't, doesn't basically want doesn't to. want Ruth in the deal. He's mm-hmm. like, I'll take the field. Thank you very yeah. much. I'll take, you know, Elimelech's field, but I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. There's, basically taking on Ruth would, would be like an economic burden to him. And it would also mean that the field, when, when Ruth then has a son, the field would then be passed on to her son. So he's like, no thanks. So then Boaz is free to marry Ruth. They get married. They have a son called Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse <laughs> is the father of King David. And of course, King David is in the, in the bloodline Jesus. to Jesus. Oh, right. That was quite, that was a bit longer than we planned, wasn't it? <laughs> Very good. Well anyway, done. little synopsis for you. So good. Well, hey, well, another another well. <laughs> well, I mean, there is so much, isn't there, that we can unpack? Yes. Um, I was trying not to. Could you tell? I was yeah, like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Hold we back. could unpack sort of line by line, couldn't we? Um, but because of time, and because I'm sure you all have busy lives that are listening to this, um, we're just going to pick out a few little bits. I mean, firstly, what's really glaringly obvious when we first read that first section is the misery that she is going through you know Naomi has lost her husband so first of all she's in a famine and then she moves away from her hometown to try and find food with a flourishing family it would seem and then loses all three I mean we can't even comprehend what that would be like to lose husband and uh and children and then be sort of taken on this responsibility of the of the daughters-in-law and feeling like they she can't fulfill what they need you know so there's this we pick up this theme of bitterness and this misery don't we and even she says doesn't she in um uh quite up the top here she says to the daughters no my daughters it is more bitter for me than for you because the lord's hand has turned against me mm. so what we know here i guess what we're seeing firstly is that she she's sort of blaming God, isn't she? Mm. Um, in this situation of misery and hardship, um, there's this sense of there is this sense of bitterness, and we were even talking about this mm-hmm. earlier, weren't we? How well that's easy a- it would be to fall into bitterness when you're going through that level of despair, mm. um, and how easy it is, and how stuck you also get in it Mm. so we were going to sort of just unpack that idea a little bit weren't we yeah i mean it's like there are kind of like these three layers of misery for her aren't there it's like it's like the the personal grief and loss of losing someone that people that she loves very dearly yeah there's the economic grief and loss that basically again in a patriarchal society like that yeah being a woman alone Mm. that you know the that's it is basically equivalent to destitution yeah you lose those three key men in your life that equals destitution. But then there's also the spiritual grief and loss because she's interpreting these events yeah, as God being as God mm. as God taking his hand away yeah. from her. Yeah. Of God like causing this. So she's also dealing with the grief of feeling yeah. like God's angry with me. God has brought this upon me. Yeah. And I guess the point of bitterness, isn't it, is that when we experience seasons of grief and loss and challenge and misery mm. and let's let's name it this is a big one yeah. like there aren't many people that have to walk through a season quite as cruel yeah. and yeah. and grueling as that yeah. but nevertheless yeah. we have a choice yeah. 
And that's the point, isn't it? Is that you, you can either choose to keep moving forward, to keep trusting, yeah. or you get bitter. Yeah. And you trust that God's, there's something bigger going on, I guess. Well, that must be all there really, is, right? Yeah. yeah. And even I was thinking about this because I, you know, even in situations that, you know, which I haven't lost sons and a husband, you know, um, where I'm sure there are some people who are listening who have, who are in that level of grief right now. And I think even some of the sort of hard times I've had, it is trying to, um, it's, I was talking to a counsellor and actually I think there's the, the, the emotion of anger, which is often just before bitterness, isn't it? Mm. When you feel angry about a situation, Mm. um, is sometimes this idea that you can't, like anger is somehow bad. Mm. Um, But if you don't feel the anger, then you actually get stuck in bitterness because you haven't allowed the anger out to be expressed. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I was talking to sort of a counsellor, in fact, a wonderful counsellor friend of ours. Not Jesus, the wonderful counsellor. Not the wonderful (laughs) (laughs) counsellor. Up there. (laughs) But not not the wonderful counsellor. Small W, small C, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but this particular counsellor was saying to me that there are um, she she puts the reasons for anger down to three things, mm. um, and it's just so helpful. Um, and what, what she said, yeah, was, you often you often quote this back at me, I don't do. you? When I I'm angry, so when I'm angry, it's like Rachel, um, is it this? <laughs> but the, the essence is like anger is an emotion that's been given to us. You know, it's yeah. it's a valid emotion. It's a well, signpost. It's yeah. a signpost exactly. And what you do with your anger matters yeah um and she was saying you know three reasons for anger she would say is needs not being met Mm -hmm. if your needs aren't being met it causes anger a conviction is being crossed Mm. and your worth is being taken away Mm. and you see with naomi it's like just say those three things again because i think that's really helpful for people to know that need is not being met so there's a need within you that's not being and that's causing anger a conviction is being crossed yeah. And your worth or your worth or and your worth is being taken away. So I guess if you feel angry, it's actually really helpful to stand back and what's say happening. what's happening. Yeah. What's happening. And but invite God into that. Exactly. Yeah. Because the point is, if you don't allow yourself to feel then the anger and do that reflection, it's so easy then mm. to sort of swallow it. And then I think that's where bitterness takes root because it's an unprocessed anger, I yes. guess is what I'm saying. That's good. And then when you look at this story of Naomi, it's like, gosh, what is she, you know, needs not being met. Yes. Tick. tick. Yeah. Conviction being crossed. She thought God was on her side. On her side. Yeah. Tick. Faithful. You yeah. know, worth being taken away. Everything's, Everything's being taken, taken away. away. Yeah. There is an absolute valid, legitimate reason to feel angry. Yes. But it's what you do in that I guess yes it really helped me to process no I think that's good (laughs) and I suppose bitterness if it if anger is unprocessed and it turns to bitterness bitterness is it 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 becomes debilitating if we're thinking about if we're thinking about again the overarching theme of the orchard is to to Mm. uh, to sort of walk more freely into all that God has made us to be and to do as women. Yeah. Bitterness, holding on to bitterness becomes a debilitating factor in being able to do that. Yeah. That essentially, if we're clinging on to bitterness, yeah. we stop, we, 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 we put a stumbling block in the way of yeah. us being free, yeah. ultimately free to be yeah. who God's made us yeah. to be and free to do yeah. all that God has called it us leads to do. to death. Ultimately. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a bit like holding on to unforgiveness, yeah. isn't it? It's like we swallow bitterness and it becomes like this toxic poison in yeah. our system. I mean, I, de- I definitely, 
I know what it's like to sort of live. In fact, we were talking earlier that mm. I think there's a difference between sort of having moments of resentment yeah. and then bitterness is almost like more of a state, isn't it? Mm. Resentment is like a feeling yeah. that's pro probably, again, connected to anger. Mm. But bitterness is more like a state that you live in. Yeah. And what do you do with that? How do you avoid it? And then what do you do to move forward yeah. from it? Because yeah. we do see Naomi come out the other yeah, side. Yeah, I was going to say, God's ultimately, God's bigger than her because she... She's she's cross, yet we mm. see, don't we, in the story mm. that you've just said so beautifully. Thank you. Um, we see that ultimately God's working in ways that is so much yeah. bigger than her anger, so much bigger than her bitterness. Yeah. He's, he's that good. Yeah. That even if you are in a bitter state right yeah. now and you're actually stuck in it, yeah. it is saying, Lord, I, like work in me. You know, I give it to you. You know, he's bigger, he's working, he's redeeming. And actually, funny enough, I just it's just occurred to me now that when I think about that, that time, I think in my life, where I, I allowed myself to get bitter, mm. the almost the cure was to allow the Holy Spirit to give me a bigger perspective. No, that's so good. And annoyingly, it was kind of in hindsight. You know, I wish I'd had that in the moment. Yeah. But it was in hindsight when I could see what God was doing in me. Yeah. That actually I was feeling bitter because I felt like I was overlooked. Yeah. I felt like... I was missing out, yeah. you know, that I was sort of stuck in a, a, a season that just felt really mundane and sort of forgotten and hidden. And and everyone else around me, it felt like, yeah. was sort of having, like living yeah. their best life. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I almost uh, th what led to the, what, what led to me recognizing that mm. I had, I was in bitterness and that I needed to repent was seeing, yeah. was sort of zooming out a bit yeah. saying, oh, hang on, I'm not forgotten. I'm not overlooked. God yeah. was doing a, we, yeah. a deep work in me, yeah. you know? And so yeah. I think, I think that's what we see here, isn't it? It's yeah. that as yeah. we can zoom out, as we see the bigger picture of what God yeah. is doing in this situation, yeah. and it also, alleviates yeah. the bitterness. And also that we are, um, you know, I say this to myself, we're not, as followers of Jesus, um, you know, I know that, you know, we're not, we aren't entitled to, Yes, we're not entitled to, we're not entitled to anything. Everything is In grace. In this life, yeah. Yeah, everything is gift. And actually, I think, again, to help get out of that, which is mm. a bit like you're saying this bigger picture, it's like, do you know what? The breath in my lungs is gift. I'm not entitled to tomorrow you know and I think mm. it is humbling ourselves isn't it before yes. the Lord and and um and seeing it as as gift actually entitlement again it's this it turns your it turns yourself in on yourself yes yeah um and it's like out, how do you get out is to look higher to look wider yes. to look bigger yes and I think that leads on to the next section actually quite quite nicely, Amy. Well nice done. segue. <laughs> because we've kind of we kind of titled section two. So if section one was like the hopeless situation, section two we've titled like the sister's choice. Mm. And so yeah, there's this hopeless situation, miserable, grief, loss, left, right, and center, um, bitterness is at play. And then basically, Ruth and Orpah have this choice to make. Naomi's gonna go on to Bethlehem. And she's like, go home, and that they have to choose. And we kind of see the two choices played against each other. Ruth is like, no, I'm I'm sticking with you. Yeah. I'm sticking. And Orpah's like, no, I'm actually yeah. gonna choose. And, and actually, I, I have great, I was like saying to Amy <laughs> earlier, I I worry that I would be Orpah. <laughs> Because we talk, okay, we talk, I'm like deeply pragmatic. I like to solve God's problems for him. 
<laughs> I really do. I'm like, it's okay, Lord. Leave this to me. She's right. Yeah. I'm off. <laughs> I'll just go home. I, you know, I'm an extra mouth to feed. I, I can head home to mum and dad. I'll yeah. find a nice Moabite husband. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll take care of myself. Yeah. So I It's actually, the choice that makes sense. Yes. It's the sensible, pragmatic yeah. choice. Yeah. So you can't, I sort of feel like you can't be cross with Orpah. Yeah, totally. Although the implication is she makes the wrong choice. Yeah. Because the choice, well, let's talk about the choice that then Ruth makes, because what, what, what Ruth is saying is, and I, I feel like as we looked at this again mm. together, mm. it was like, oh, I hadn't quite clocked. This isn't Ruth saying, no, Naomi, mother-in-law, I'll come and look after you in your old age. Mm. You know, I'll mm. make you breakfast in bed. I'll wipe your bum and, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. She's not that old, is she? <laughs> we don't even know that she's incontinent or anything. I've, I've written that into the scripture. <laughs> but, you know, this isn't just like, I'm like viewing this through the lens of the 21st century. This isn't like sort of saying, okay, yes, I'll look after my mother-in-law. Like what Ruth is saying... Mm. But basically she's saying no to marriage because she's a Moabite. Yeah. And if they go back to Bethlehem and Judah, yeah. it's actually, we know gonna, yeah. that no one's going to marry her. Mm-hmm. No Jewish man is going to marry. She's also a widow. Yeah. So like double whammy, she's saying no to marriage. Yeah. Like it, it, it is a miracle that Boaz marries her, literally. So yeah. by saying yes to Naomi, by yeah. saying yes to commitment and faithfulness, she says no to marriage. So marriage, therefore marriage, no to children. And then we talked in the previous episode about Hannah, how... Mm. The, the, the implications yeah. of not having children is so much greater yeah. than just the, the end joy of her well-being. Once and Naomi dies. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's yeah. like, basically it's saying yes to destitution. It's yeah. like, I'm going to follow you, Naomi, into poverty, yeah. into shame, yeah. and into isolation. Because yeah. then she's going in as a foreigner. She's going in as a refugee in a foreign land. Yeah. Uh, and so her yes to Naomi mm. is also the same as a massive... No, mm. to all these things mm. that make life rich, not just rich, yeah. but also safe yeah. and secure. Yeah. Like this is a huge mm. yes. And as we were even processing it, we were saying, weren't we like, that yes is bigger than her human yes, isn't it? There has to be, it has to be the work of the spirit yeah. that would enable enable Ruth to be so utterly committed to the person in front of her mm. without knowing the end of the story. I mean, we know the end of the story, but she doesn't. Like you said, she it could end in, you know, no security at all, you know, not having anywhere to live, all of that. Um, and it made me think that we know that, Naomi, we know that Naomi has a strong faith because she's, although she's bitter, she's She's in relationship with God, isn't she? She's mm. she's praying to God. She's saying God's turned his you know his um, face away from me. You know his presence, whatever. So I think what we can read into it is that Naomi has shown Ruth. Yeah, she's seen something. Oh, she has seen her face. She has seen her obedience. She's seen her prayers. She's seen that within her because it even says, doesn't it? I will go. I will. What does it say? I'll go with you. Your God, Your God will, will be, be my, my God. God. Yeah. Um, and so we have to believe that this isn't just this sort of um, codependence. No. Yeah. This is this is saying or like no, duty, like obligation. Yeah, there is yeah. a there is a work of God yeah. in this beautiful self-sacrificial yes to another human mm. um, without knowing the end of the story. Yeah. Is beautiful. Well, I think the the, the point about self-sacrificial love is another one. You you were talking about. 
it, again, it flies in the face of our culture, yeah. doesn't it? That we live in a culture that is rampant with individualism, mm. that, that, that the oxygen that we breathe is me first, yeah. me first, my needs so first. Counter. It yeah. is so countercultural to put somebody else's needs way ahead of your own. Yeah. In fact, again, choosing to put somebody's welfare uh, not not just ahead of your own welfare, but actually in a way that will lead you into poverty and pain. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think I think so often as Christians, mm. living and breathing the oxygen of our culture, yeah. we so easily fall under that lie. Yeah. That, that, that we become so boundaried. I know. You know, we become so yeah. entitled. We become yeah. so obsessed with our own uh, comfort yeah. that, that we, we become therefore completely unprepared, yeah. unprepared to put the needs of others first. To lay first. down for yeah. the other. I and know. I don't want to jump onto my soapbox here because, you know, <laughs> I do love a good soapbox <laughs> moment. But, you know, I was chatting in the car with my daughter this mm. morning on the way over. Mm. And she was talking about the earthquake in oh, yeah. Turkey and Syria. Yeah. And she was asking me about, you know, the, the death toll. And so, like, it, it, it's obviously really yeah. touched her. And she mm. said, did you hear, mommy, in the news about this little baby that was born? Yeah. Both mum and dad died. Yes. But this little baby was born in the midst of this earthquake. Mm. And she said, do you know, apparently thousands of people have contacted, I guess, you know, to the Red Cross the to say, we'll adopt the baby. Wow. Yeah, and on the one hand, yeah. that's amazing. There are loads, is that but, what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm thick, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah. there, are, there are so many children in our cities yeah. that need adopting. Yeah. It's a good soapbox, Rach. There you go. And so I guess, I guess, I suppose I, yeah, there's, there's something about adoption, yeah. isn't there? That's, yeah. a, that's like, I'm going to choose, yeah, to Absolutely. put my knee and, you know, I don't, yeah. Yeah. There are lots of other things. There are lots of other examples of people doing that in different yeah. ways, yeah. but it's, it but it's, is the way of the gospel. Absolutely. And it's also, again, I'm sort of not laboring the point, but she doesn't know the end of the story. Yes. So this act, we trust it's an act of obedience. I really believe it's an act of obedience that she's serving God ultimately in this choice. And obedience isn't, you don't say yes to you to mm -hmm. God and yeah. know the end of the story. No. Sometimes the end of the story doesn't have a bow on it, does yeah. it? Yeah. And it's obedience without the bow. It's obedience that's like, okay, God, I'm saying yes to this, but this might be awful. Yeah. And it doesn't matter because you are writing a bigger picture that I cannot see. Ruth doesn't know that Jesus know. is in the lineage of her family. It's nuts yeah yeah she doesn't know that we don't know what we're faithful with now yeah. what we're obedient with now we don't know the bigger story no. that he is writing that's the bigger picture that's the hope we can get stuck in bitterness or we can keep walking forward in obedience and trust that he's writing something even if we don't see it in our lifetime yeah. even if we don't see Abs it in even our if lifetime. we don't see it in our lifetime exactly that yeah no we have to believe as you said that it's a, a work of God that she says yes to Naomi and it's and it is testament to her character yeah because absolutely. she had a way out totally it was a choice she, yeah. totally <laughs> <laughs> that was the weirdest laugh totally <laughs> anyway let's keep going maybe edit that oh uh, no keep it in <laughs> so she she has this way out she could have gone with Orpah like again yeah, yeah. pragmatic like really acceptable choice 
but she doesn't, she, she chooses to yeah. go. So section three, we've called um, Faithful with a Little. And then there's this, oh, a little yeah. verse that says, and it so happened. Oh, I love those. Actually, we were reading that. Wait, reading it together. Just wait, everyone. There's a sermon. There, I know. I can feel this little talk <laughs> brewing inside me. Uh, as it so happened, because essentially Ruth starts gleaning in this random field. Mm. I mean, she could have gleaned in. There are a lot of fields. She could have gleaned in any field. Yeah. But she starts gleaning in this field, and as it so oh, happened, I know. It's of course it's Boaz's field, like. This is like one major coincidence. Yeah. This, this is God at work behind the Mir- scenes. Miraculous. Miraculously at work because of all yeah. the fields, it's Boaz's field. And of course, Boaz is the one person that can change the story, yeah. that can change the narrative. Yeah. And actually, you were making the point earlier, weren't you, Ames, about mm. how she's just faithful with a little. Yeah. You know, she she gets out there, and actually, that again, the, there's an insinuation in the story that she she like works hard. She's yeah. out early. Mm, she's mm. she takes like a short lunch break. It says <laughs> something like that, uh, <laughs> and then she's gleaning late into the night. Like mm. she's she's just being faithful. What's in her hand? This is the only option that she has to feed her and Naomi, mm. and it's humbling. Like this, it is humbling. Honestly, it would have been really shame inducing for her. Yeah. This is like. This is like picking up the scraps around the yeah, bin, you yeah, know. Yeah. It's and yeah. and she's there faithfully yeah. doing what she needs to do to survive. Yeah. And lo and behold, she's yeah. in Boaz's flipping field. Isn't that amazing? It is. it is amazing. I love that. It's but, just this beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. Yes. God's hand, his grace, yes. his mercy in all of it. It is it, yeah, it's it is stunning. And like you said, it's it's faithful. Um, the thing that spoke to me is it's like she's faithful with the people with the people that God's given her. Yeah. And God has given her Naomi. Yeah. And she's she's faithfully uh, sort of trustworthy mm. with this relationship, this yes. this friendship that she has. It's like I'm not gonna let go of that. Like God's given that this person to me. I'm yeah. going to just faithfully I'm honor that. Serve. Yeah. And I actually wonder how easy it is for us to lose that, you know, how actually we're, we're called to be faithful with the friendships that we've been given. Yes. The relationships, either marriage or not married or, or or children children or or whatever, or Or could be mothers-in-law. Yeah. Co-workers, you know, let's be faithful with the people that are in front of us because we don't know the bigger picture. You know, we're just, we're just to be called to be faithful with what's in front of us. Yeah. Faithful in our relationships. Again, I think Mm. we often, when we think about God at work, we think about the sort of the the big, yeah, yeah. but actually it's, it's as simple as be faithful with the relationships God's put in your life. I think the other evidence of God's grace is not just that God leads Ruth to that field, Mm. But Naomi, we can assume, is still in bitterness at that moment. Yeah. You know, there's nothing in the story that suggests that she's sort of prayed Comes this, out of it. Yeah, <laughs> that she's prayed this big prayer of repentance. And, yeah. you know, actually, mm. she's still in misery and bitterness. She's yeah. still Mara at this point, And yet God, by his grace, is oh, still at work. I know, I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. That he's Again, his grace is not dependent mm. on our behavior or our choices his grace is dependent on our yes yeah but it's not dependent on us sort of 
Yeah. Being perfect. And also, sorry. No, that was I was it. just thinking about, um, I was just thinking about Ruth. You know, I, I, I imagine it's quite hard to live with a bitter person. Yeah, that's true. But, and so even... The, you can it, ask my husband about that. But it isn't like, it isn't... It, she's also faithful when I bet the relationships isn't isn't always easy. That's so true. I hadn't thought about that. And actually, it's another. Well done, Ruth. Yeah, <laughs> she's awesome. That's what we keep discovering, isn't it? She is awesome. Yeah, she is well done. What a woman. Okay. All right. No, go on. Section four. Section four. So did we say? Yeah. Sec- section one: hopeless situation. Section two: the sister's choice. Section three: is faithful with a little and. As it so happened, love that verse. And then section four. Yeah, he sees her. He sees and her. And we're just going to look at Boaz. You know, he, even when she, so when on the threshing floor, when he, she uncovers his feet, it does sound slightly strange it for was. us, doesn't it? Um, but so he'll wake up in the night and see her there. Um, the first thing he says is, I see, you know, I, I, I see what you're doing. And what she's doing is yeah. ultimately risking her life yeah. to marry him. Yeah. I mean, he could have completely cast her out, could have chucked her off the farm. What, exposed her? Yeah, exactly, exposed her, all of that. Um, But what he sees is her courage. Yeah. And he sees... Her intention. The intention, exactly. Um, And that she's risking everything to... For the sake of Naomi. Yes. I mean, it is quite incredible. It's not about her. That's no. the point, yeah. isn't it? It's not about her wanting to her be Her needs. Married. It's about no. I'm doing this for, the sake of. for Naomi, which is, and, and yeah, the, the point is he sees that. And again, in a patriarchal society where the power dynamics between men and women was yeah. so yeah. imbalanced, mm. this is a massive risk, as have you said. And, and I think, it, it, again, it just demonstrates Boaz's mm. character. Yeah. That that he uh he also he has nothing to, to gain here he, yes well that's the point yeah he he's acting out of his ho- own sense of good character but also we can assume driven by the holy spirit his yeah. own sense of conviction yeah because actually what we discover he is says, that lord bless him he's like yes, he loves the lord doesn't he he loves the lord but but in becoming this what what the bible talks in the roof it talks about him being this kinsman redeemer mm. essentially the man that can then carry on the bloodline mm. and and inherit the property, inherit the, the property that Elimelech left behind. Mm. I said that right. Anyway, you know who I mean. Um, mm. Actually, there's nothing to gain for him because what would happen is, A, he'd gain an extra wife, which is like, we don't know that he's already married, blah, 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 anyway. Um, but he, um, yeah. yeah, he... he he then that's really that's an extra yeah that's an extra burden per yeah. burden yeah. person to care for mm. and then if she has a son and that's that's the idea he would help her we yeah. don't need to go into the nitty-gritty of that he would help her bear a son yeah and then actually the son would go on to inherit the land so he doesn't even get anything out of it mm. we don't even know that do you know because we, we don't even know that he's attracted yeah. to ruth yeah you know like in other accounts yeah like jacob and rachel and rebecca and isaac it says they were really attracted. They found their wives mm. really beautiful. Mm. I, I actually think it's really interesting that, that we never hear that from Boaz. It's not like he spots her in the field. He's like, whoa, she's a babe. Yeah. I want to marry her. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know that he didn't. I don't want to read what isn't yeah. there. But yeah. 
it wasn't the primary thing. It clearly wasn't. And isn't that amazing? Yeah. That he he wants to help her because of who she is, because of the choice that she's made. Yeah, it is amazing. That that makes him a pretty awesome guy as well. Yeah. And even I was just thinking that, you know, we did our conference um, or the gathering. Oh, little plug. Sorry, on Divine Power, didn't we last? October the 7th. (coughs) Coming up, yeah. Book in, book in. Um, But even the whole idea of this is a... It's sort of a picture of divine power yeah. that you get both you get both Ruth and Boaz mm. effectively laying down their rights, laying down their power yeah. for the sake of each other. Yeah. That then what is what comes yeah. is the king of all kings, which yeah. is Jesus. You know, it's like that's that power that is yeah. happening in that moment yeah. is creating the um this bloodline to jesus that's amazing it's, it's, yeah it's so god mm. it's so upside down yeah um it's so a work of the spirit i think it's also it's also important that we see sort of jesus being paralleled i guess mm. in this story and this image of uh this image of of ruth laying at boaz's feet and him being this redeemer yeah. character within yeah. the whole story exactly again boaz isn't jesus no. And Ruth isn't sort of, you know, it's not what she represents. It's what what this Mm. this picture more, I guess, this picture represents that in this moment, Mm. it is this image for us as Ruth is like the faithful, the faithful believer who is operating in trust and surrender and the response of the saviour who redeems, who covers, who who, who preserves her dignity and and brings her basically yeah. he he equates life yeah. and prosperity and new life for her yeah. where what was only possible would have been just yeah. poverty and like picking up the scraps yeah. essentially and if we ever needed any which i hope this podcast <laughs> of all the series has hopefully, I guess, brought to the light yeah. God's view of women. Yes, yes, yes. Is that he is so good, you know, he's so kind. He wants to redeem and restore yeah. both Naomi and Ruth's hardships, yes. Yes. you know, their lives, I just think. And he's and this story is for us to read about. He yes. wants us to know that about yes. who he is. Um, he's Boaz, that kind, you know, there's a... He's representing God's yes. heart for us. Um, and I think, I think, I know sometimes when I read the Old Testament yeah. and I can get stuck in the, in the sort of the, the patriarchal yeah. Yeah. cultural systems that yeah. are at play, the power yeah. dynamics between the men and the women in the story. Mm. And and even though it is something that I, I still have to regularly wrestle with, and there are some amazing theologians out there who can help us, Lucy Pepiot's books are phenomenal and others. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that is, is striking, mm. and it almost feels like a paradox, is that, mm. he, that God almost, he works through the power dynamic of, of this patriarchal yeah. society yeah. in this story yeah. that, that, that actually true. like Ruth is powerless because yeah. she's a woman, yeah. not just because she's a woman, but, but she's also a foreigner. Mm. She also, she's also a widow, etc. She is no so powerless, mm. so powerless. Yeah. And Boaz is the one with all the power mm. and he, 
lays down yeah. his power yeah. in order to bring her life. Yeah. yeah. And and I guess yeah, it, the challenge for someone like yeah. me is not to sometimes get distracted by yes. what feels like the inequality yes. of of the patriarchal yeah. world that we read yeah. the Old Testament in, yeah. but to see Jesus yeah. redeeming exactly. and restoring God and, and empowers. All of us. Yes, yes, exactly. Like that actually Ruth represents the all whole of, of humankind. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that's so important. Yeah. And he's chosen Ruth to depict that. Exactly, mm. exactly. And that's then the awesome. legacy, right? We end. Section five, yeah. last section. Yeah. That we all know that the bigger picture lands with that Naomi becomes the grandmother great-grandmother great-grandmother to king david yeah ruth becomes the grandmother yeah great-grandmother to yeah that's just the bloodline to the messiah yeah and actually you know we were talking i don't know whether we even mentioned this in ruth but there's we it was something that we talked about before we recorded that that bit in genesis genesis 3 or genesis 5 is it where it talks about the messiah being born from a woman yeah and how for jewish women yeah having children there was also this other thing going on yeah. which was like i could be yeah. the one who carries carry the, messiah. the messiah yeah and yet what we see is that it's this moabite I know. widow I know. who ends it's up so being in the bloodline blood yeah. it's amazing it is amazing he chooses yeah it always chooses the, the yeah. people that we think yeah. are the least likely absolutely and we need our eyes open to we where do. we don't do that we absolutely do yeah Oh, love that. Well, Jesus, we just thank you again mm. for Ruth. And we thank you that we get to read about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And, um, and Lord, we ask now, Holy Spirit, by um, your mercy and grace, we ask that you would come. And would you fall afresh on um, every listener right now? We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, move and minister to those that are grieving loss right now. I Mm. pray, Jesus, that you would comfort, that you would bring um, a perspective of um, uh, even a clarity of your face Mm. in the midst of it, Lord. And um, And I pray, Lord, for those that feel conviction around bitterness, where we've allowed bitterness to root. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just begin now to unroot it um, and that you would bring freedom in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, we hope that this is an encouragement to you. And don't forget, book in, if you're not booked in yet, for the conference on October the 7th uh, in Birmingham. Then do do that. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up.